Well, good morning, Crosspoint. Welcome. You may have a seat. Boy, that last song was just kind of getting to me there. What a plea for us to be able to gather on a Sunday morning and say, Lord, have your way in me. Maybe some of us probably don't even know what that means. I don't know that any of us can really sing that full, wholeheartedly, Lord, have your way in me. But I was thinking about those lyrics, like a rushing wind within my, you know, stir my soul within. And I have to confess that many times as a child of God, as a Christian, I don't quite feel that way. You know, the uh, distractions in this world and my personal needs and wants get in the way of experiencing that type of desire that we're, we're proclaiming as we're singing and lifting our voices together. But I think this morning's message is really going to help us out with that. So if you feel like, you know, I want to feel that rushing wind, and it's all metaphorical. We're talking about the Holy Spirit in us, stirring us up in a way that would be supernatural, that would empower us to do things that we never would have thought possible for His glory. And I think that's how a Christian should live. That's how children of God should live every day of our lives, desiring to be moved by God in a way that brings Him honor and glory in everything that we do. How exciting is that? So welcome, welcome to Crosspoint Christian Church. Those of you that are here, those of you joining us online, we're grateful that you're accompany us. We pray that whether you're here or online or whether you watch this uh, via recording later on, through our YouTube channel or otherwise, that you will be blessed by God's Word and having experienced this with us. I have uh, some announcements that I want to share with you. Um, we'll, we'll do that fairly quickly, but there's several. First of all, tonight, we're going to have a movie night. I don't, I don't remember the last time we had a movie night. It was probably pre-COVID. So tonight, we plan on having a nice family, Christian, faith-based movie. Um, I've seen it before. I'm excited to be able to watch that with everyone. So we'll be here tonight at 6 p.m. We're going to have uh, free drinks, as in sodas and water. And um, I think we're going to do popcorn and some hot dogs. And so have the full experience. I believe it's going to be in the gym. So bring your blanket. We were going to do it outside, but it's probably too cold. doesn't get dark enough or uh, early enough. So we're going to have it in here, big screen. Uh, it should be a lot of fun. I would invite you. Great time to invite somebody who maybe normally wouldn't come to a church service. Maybe they'll come out to a movie night. Uh, and we'll get a chance to meet them and, and uh, see what the Lord has in mind for that. Okay, movie night at Crosspoint tonight at 6 p.m. Hope to see all of you here. The women are going to be having an event. We've been announcing this for a couple of weeks now. On Saturday, the 22nd, from 10 to 2, they're going to be uh, sewing pillowcases for a really great cause. So uh, we invite all the women to attend. If you don't know how to sew, you don't have a sewing machine, perfect. This event is just for you. Uh, if you're an expert, and you, then perfect. This event is also for you. So if you're a young woman, uh, any, any age, you're welcome to, to join this women's group and these, these efforts. Today during uh, the break or after the English service, there's go going to be a Bible Bowl meeting. Some of you have no idea what that is. Sounds like Super Bowl and you're, now you're thinking about football and oh boy, now we, we lost some of you already. No, Bible Bowl is a competition, a friendly competition among many churches 
in and out of the state where our young people, intermediate and high school age, compete against other churches. Uh, I believe they're doing Matthew this, this year. Uh, sometimes they travel even to New Mexico, Arizona, San Diego. And so we invite you to get your children involved or grandkids if they're that age group. There's going to be a, a meeting. I believe this is one of the first meetings for this coming year. And so at, right after the service here, we end exactly at 10 sometimes. But let's say 10.05 or so, they're going to be meeting probably next door in the green room or in the sanctuary. So even, even if you're wondering what it's about, join the meeting and take a, take a listen. Um, I also want to announce that um, the first Sunday of November is quickly coming upon us, and that is November 6th. We will be celebrating our eighth anniversary as Cross Point Christian Church. And if, yes, eight, eight years. Um, and we plan on having something similar to what we had last year, so it'll be a combined service. Uh, it's uh, it's going to start at 10 o'clock. We are going to have a, a meal afterwards. I know, I, be, I believe some of our youth ministry are going to be having some fundraisers, so bring lots of cash. Um, what else? I mean, everything's free except for the fundraisers, but we're going to have a really nice, really nice time. So those of you that grill, like to grill, so those of you who like to grill, and uh, even if you don't like it that much, but you can. We're going to invite you to bring the gr your grill. We're going to hope to have maybe six, eight grills out there. We're going to have some nice carne asada and hot dogs and burgers and everything else. We're just going to celebrate God's faithfulness and what he's done, continues to do, and what we're excited about him doing in the future here in and through Cross Point Christian Church. All right? So we're all set. We're hoping to have like 300 people in here um, and just thank the Lord and praise him together. That's it for announcements. At this time, I would um, like for us, well, I'm going to turn to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, to, in order for us to prepare for us taking communion. If you want to take communion, the Lord, participate in the Lord's table here, and you didn't grab one of these on your way in, go ahead and lift up your hand, and one of our ushers will swing by and give you one. But I'm looking at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Um, last week I shared with you 2 Corinthians 5.21. I said this is a really key verse. This is a verse that you want to be well familiar with. Um, th this is another portion of Scripture that you want to know. All right? You want to know the whole word, but you got to start somewhere. Start with these kinds of verses. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. The Apostle Paul is writing to this church, believers, and he says to them, For by grace... You have been saved through faith, and that's not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For many of us that have been in the church and the faith walking with the Lord, this is probably a very familiar verse to us, but I would love for you to take it to the next step. Continue to familiarize yourself with it, memorize it, and ask the Lord to, to help you share this verse with somebody else. I mean, listen to what it says. He says, for by grace, and this word grace has to do with an unmerited favor from God, something we absolutely do not and cannot deserve or earn. For by grace you have been saved. Children of God, Christians are people that have been redeemed. We have been saved. 
through faith. And even that is not of yourselves. It is God's gift. And then in case anybody was like, what does that mean? Verse 9 says, not by works, lest anyone should boast. Meaning there's nothing that you can do to earn salvation. And I will never get tired of saying that. You may get tired of hearing me say it, but you shouldn't. And I'll tell you why in part. So yesterday I got a chance to officiate or participate in a couple of uh, funeral services. Uh, one of them was my mom's. Uh, we laid her to rest, as it is said. Uh, her, her body was buried yesterday. Um, and then before that, I got a chance to go to uh, kind of squeeze in another uh, funeral service for somebody who many of us know. Uh, their dad, Jaime's dad, passed away a while ago, and he had asked me if I would participate in that service. So I said, yeah, and then it worked out. Uh, and, and, and whenever a funeral service occurs, inevitably the people that are there at the services obviously are maybe thinking about their faith, they're thinking about their mortality. And so people say some things to the preacher. And I had several people in both services, mainly in my mom's service, I had a chance to talk to them more. People that would say like, oh, you know, it's, it's so great that your mom is now in glory. And I would say, yeah, amen. I know my mom's faith was steady and, and solid in the Lord, and she, was, she knew she was saved, and for her to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And then I, would, I had a, particularly a, an uncle of mine who, who's kind of been in the faith and in and out, um, and he says, yeah, that's great. Well, hopefully I get to see her someday, and I'm not sure. And I'm like, what do you mean you're not sure? Let's make sure. How could you not be sure? Do you not know if you're saved or not? Because right here it says, for by grace you have been saved. And it's not about you. And the reason why I bring this up now with this verse, and I think it's very important, is because I know that when people talk like that, when they've already been exposed to the gospel, they are still thinking that they have some kind of part in their salvation. And because they're not living right, then they don't have assurance of, or security of their, of their faith. And it all comes down to the fact that you and I cannot earn our salvation. We can only put our trust, our faith, in the one and only Savior. That's Jesus Christ, based on what he did for us at the cross. If you don't understand that, that is why your faith is shaky. That is why you don't have assurance of salvation. That is why you don't experience God's peace in your heart. you got to trust the word. Paul says to believers, you have been saved by grace through faith. And it's not of yourselves. Stop looking at yourself. It is God's gift, not by works, lest anyone should boast. Boy, if, if there's something that I would hope and pray to the Lord is that everyone that hears not just my voice, but whatever preaching is done here at Crosspoint, that they will be sure of their salvation. You know, my pastor of old, his saying for decades was, make sure of your salvation. Actually, he used to say, make sure of heaven. Study the Bible. In studying the Bible, you, will be, you can come to the conviction and assurance that you have been saved by grace through faith. And it's not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. And for anyone who's thinking like, oh, that sounds too easy. If you say that to people, they're going to go crazy, you know, because they're already saved. If you go crazy because you think you're already saved and you go out into the world and you think you could sin as much as you want because you're already saved, newsflash, 
that's the very indication that you're not saved. But if you are saved and you realize you're saved by grace through faith, the last thing you're going to want to do is offend your Savior. And that's how you know you're saved. Your life is going to tell you. The fruit in your life is going to convict you and convince you and tell you where you're at in the faith. And so a true Christian rests on the finished work of Christ that they are saved, and because of that, they want to live the best life possible for His glory. By grace, we have been saved through faith. It's not of ourselves. It's God's gift. Not by works, lest anyone should boast. As you peel back the first layer, you have the bread that symbolizes, it represents that body that the eternal and holy God took upon himself 2,000 years ago in order that he would take it to the cross, in order that he would nail our sins to that cross using his body. Let's take that together. As you peel back the second layer, you have the juice that represents Christ's very own precious blood with which he paid the total payment for our sins. Let's take that together. Let's stand, and for the last time, we're going to sing, Crown Him. Crown him with many crowns. So let's sing that nice and loud. This will be the last time we sing this hymn, at least for a while. Crown him with many crowns, the lamb upon the throne. Hark how the heavenly anthems drown. All music but its own. Awake my soul and sing of him who died for thee. And hail him as thy matchless king through all eternity. Crown him the Lord of heaven, one with the Father known, one with the Spirit through him give from yonder glorious throne. To thee be endless praise, for thou hast died for me. Be thou, O Lord, through endless days, adored and magnified. Amen. Gracious Father, we're so grateful for you allowing us to be here this morning in order that we would raise up our voices and praise you in adoration and gratitude for who you are, for what you've done, for what you've promised. I thank you for everybody that's here this morning. No one is here by accident. I pray that you would help us seek what it is that you brought us here for. We thank you, Holy Spirit, not only for your presence, but for your power. We pray that as we uh, preach the word, that it would be you that opens our, our mind, our spiritual eyes, that we will be able to receive your word in our hearts, that we will be convicted 
and that we would call on to you. We thank you, we praise you, and we ask this in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. You may have a seat. So this morning, I'm so honored to be able to continue our messages out of the gospel according to Luke. And yes, today we will be finishing chapter 9. After, I think we've been here about three months in chapter 9, which is totally fine. The title this morning is Kingdom Fitness. You know, nowadays there's a lot of, there's a multi, probably billion or even, yeah, let's say billion dollar industry all around fitness, right? We buy fancy equipment, some of us do. And they're like, oh, I got the equipment, now I need some clothing so I could work out right now. You buy some clothing and it's not cheap. And then you're thinking like, man, I just need some good running shoes. And then you buy the good running shoes and then you find that you're injured and then you can't work out anymore or what have you. And I think all of us would, would like to be fit and healthy and look the way we look in our mind until we see ourselves in the mirror most of you guys can identify with that. Some of you are actually fit, and you see in the mirror what you see in your mind. That's not the case with me. I don't know how, what's, what's your uh, experience, but you, you, know, you take pictures, and then you, you look at your picture, you're like, eww. And you take a group picture of 20 people, and then they show it to you. And you're like, well, let me see, let me see on the phone. And then, and then all you do is you look at yourself to criticize yourself. Like, ah. Oh. Stop being so critical of yourself, but let's get fit, definitely. But I mentioned that only as, as an uh, introduction because really what I want to talk about is kingdom fitness. What does it mean to be fit for the kingdom of God? And the Lord Jesus Christ, actually in this portion, as we finish chapter 9, is talking exactly about that. He literally says that. So I'm going to read Luke chapter 9, verses 57 through 62. It's not a long portion, and we're going to develop this. A message entitled Kingdom Fitness. And the main point is this, that God is glorified and we have to be all about God's glory. God is glorified when his demands to fully follow Christ are met. God is glorified when his demands to, for us to fully follow Christ are met. So then the question is, are we meeting Christ's demands when it comes to him asking us or demanding us to follow him. And so I think it might be a, a bit of a rough message, but if you're reading Luke along with us, because we plan on going through all of Luke, but if, you, if you've been reading Luke, and if you've been reading Luke for the first time or one of the Gospels, and you've kind of been at church, but you've never really read the Bible or studied it, you might be reading Luke and thinking like, wow, that's harsh. Wow, I didn't know that was in there. Because many of us have been sold this very light type of gospel. And sometimes it's not even the church's fault. It's, it's our fault. You know, we might go to a good church, but if we don't pay attention and we don't put in any effort in being good students of the word, then they might be preaching the word, but you're just getting the crumbs and you're just getting the, you know, the dessert and, and, and kind of ignoring the meat. So I'm not, I'm not necessarily criticizing other churches. I mean, I think it's, it, it really comes down to us and where we're at in our spiritual walk based on our, a lot of it has to do with our effort. Are we paying attention? Are we willing to be doers of the word? Are we good disciples of the word? Or are we being, like I think most people are, even in the church, just kind of churchgoers. 
eh, you know, give a little here, do a little there, but eh. this message is going to speak, I believe, to all of us, all of us. So kingdom fitness, Luke 9, 57 through 62, God is glorified when his demands to fully follow Christ are met. Let me read that. Listen to what he says. Now it happened, as they journeyed on the road, that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. But Jesus said to him, No one, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. So we're going to talk about these three incidents or these three individuals that, that have this short conversation with the Lord. And what we're going to see is that all three, all three, none of them were fit for the kingdom is what the Lord is saying and teaching in this portion. And we're going to look at why they are disqualified from being fit for the kingdom. And surprisingly enough, we might find a lot of similarities between these three people and our very own lives. So what we're going to do is we're going to develop this. I have three points to share with you, and they're all going to uh, complete this phrase. Being fit for God's kingdom requires. Being fit for God's kingdom requires. And obviously, the personal application is going to be all over the place. Where do I stand? How do, do, I, do I sound like one of these? Do I sound like all three? Um, Maybe I can't relate to anything of what they're saying. We'll, we'll see. We'll let the Holy Spirit do that application in, in your heart. You do have, you should have a, uh, a, a sheet in front of you that has the outline of this message, the verses that I'm going to use that are going to show up in the, in the screen. You're going to have those in that sheet. So I would encourage you to make sure you get one. You can fill it out as we go or you can take it home and, and kind of take a look at that. The idea is we want all of us to be good disciples of God's word. So being fit for God's kingdom requires, point number one, denial of personal comfort. Denial of personal comfort. In Luke 9, 58, when, when, this, when this man comes and says, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. That's a big, that's a, a big statement, right? I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him in Luke 9, 58, said, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He's letting him know that if you're going to follow me, you need to understand that if you're looking for personal comfort, and you know, in the other Gospels, when you, when you do a comparison, it says that this was a, I believe it was a scribe, 
A scribe would have been somebody very highly esteemed in the Jewish culture and society. And with that probably came a, a good living. So this individual would have been used to having a comfortable life. And when he says, I will follow you wherever you go, the Lord knowing his heart says, really, you should know that foxes have holes. You know, that's their home. And even birds in the air, as insignificant as they are, you know, they even have nests. It says, but the Son of Man, referring to himself, has nowhere to lay his head. Meaning, you're going to follow me? You think you can follow me? Understand that you can't follow me and expect any personal comfort. So then the question becomes, am I all about my personal comfort? And I, w I would say that all of us obviously are concerned with our personal comfort. And I should say on the onset that there isn't anything necessarily wrong with seeking personal comfort. I mean, if you want to buy a my pillow, go for it. I don't think that's necessarily sinful to pay $50 for a pillow or whatever it is. I don't know. Psalm at Sands for $29.99. Um, so I'm not saying you can't buy a pillow or you can't buy, you know, uh, or you have to out go and live in the wilderness because any sort of self-comfort is, is, is bad. That's, that's not what the Lord is saying. That wouldn't be reasonable. What the Lord is saying that, hey, if you're going to follow me wholeheartedly, don't expect uh, self-comfort. And for ourselves, don't make self-comfort an idol. Don't make self-comfort the priority of your life. And you might think like, well, who does that? I would say a lot of us do. And it's not a matter of whether we do or we don't, or we, we, we are at 0% or 100%. I think we all fall inside somewhere in that spectrum of self-comfort. But there's definitely a point where if all your... You know, why do you, why do you work where you work if you work? You know how many people I've spoken to, they tell me like, yeah, it's just my job. You know, if I didn't have this job, I would serve more. Or if I didn't, you know, I would spend more t time with my family, but my job. And then the obvious question is like, well, why don't you get another job? No, you know, they pay me really good. I don't know if anybody else would pay me that good. Really? So what are we doing? We're sacrificing What? For personal comfort. So you could live at the house that you live or drive the car that you car drive or wear the clothes that you wear, be able to give the kids all the stuff that they actually don't need but make you feel better. I mean, we really have to ask the question. How much personal comfort am I seeking? And the personal comfort that I seek is at the expense of what? Is it at the expense of following the Lord full, wholeheartedly? Is it at the expense of not being able to be generous with other people to help them a little? What is it? So I would love for us, and I think the question on, on your handout is obviously having to do something like that. And I would love for you to take it and, and really pray about it and think about it. How much are you affected by or your relationship with God? How much is your relationship with God affected by your seeking personal comfort? And sometimes that's a hard thing to do. Like, where do I draw the line? Well, I don't know, and I don't want to draw anybody's line. I have a hard enough time with my own line. And that's where you have to talk to other people because, again, you might think, like, no, I'm pretty good with this one until you ask somebody else, and they're like, yeah, dude, you're selfish. <laughs> what? 
So, good luck with that endeavor. Galatians 5.24, because we're talking about being fit for God's kingdom requires a denial to personal comfort. Galatians 5.24 says, and those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we are in Christ, we have crucified our passions and desires. The Christian life needs to be different. And self-denial or denial of personal comfort is one of those. Am I willing to forego these temporary comforts in order that I could invest in God's kingdom? And the Lord says, if you, if you don't, then you're not fit for my kingdom. People that are all about their personal comfort are not fit. And actually, this portion is really talking about salvation. I'm applying it more to us, assuming we're saved and we still have a problem with, you know, too much personal comfort. But for the person that doesn't know Christ, one obvious indication of that is that their life is all about their personal comfort. And so one question that you could ask yourselves, that we could all ask ourselves is, what, what sacrifices do you make? What personal comfort sacrifices do you make? Have you made? Are you willing to make? Think about it. I think that's a really great question. Like you could literally sit down with a significant person that knows you and say like, what, what kinds of things can I afford but I, I don't because I'd rather use that for something else? What kinds of things can I be enjoying but I, I choose not to so that I could spend more time with the Lord or so that I can give more to this organization or, or help other people? Like you could literally... Take a look and ask yourself and write it down. You know, I choose not to do this as far as personal comfort is concerned so that I can do that. That's a really intentional way of living that I believe would honor God. Last verse, nine, Luke 9.23. Being fit for God's kingdom requires denial of personal comfort. 9.23 says, Then he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. And take up his cross daily and follow me. Self-denial, denial of personal comfort is essential, fundamental to repentance and a turning away from our old lifestyle and turning to Christ. You can't hang on to all of your desires and passions and wants and think that you're going to be able to follow the Lord. The Lord would say, you're not fit for the kingdom. You have to get rid of all that stuff. Point number two, being fit for God's kingdom requires also a denial to personal riches. Denial of personal riches. Is it sinful to be rich? I would say no. Again, I have to mention, you know, for us here in Southern California, in the United States of America, even those of us who have the least among us, have way more than most people around the world. So a lot of it has to do with perspective, right? A lot of it has to do with perspective. And so I would say that compared to the rest of the world or the average person in this planet, all of us really are rich 
We have way more resources than the average person around us. And so, you know, I, I say that because I don't want us to think like, well, I don't have $5 million in the bank. Obviously, I'm not rich. Like, mm. Well, you're not super rich, maybe, but we're all rich. We all, I would say we all have more than what we need. I don't know about you. We have way more than what we need. And for those, that, for those of us that grew up with not a lot, we realize that. You know, some of us that kind of grew up with a little bit of everything, we may, maybe it's a little bit harder to, to see that. But uh, denial to personal riches or denial of personal riches. Luke 5, 9, 9.59. So listen to this. So he tells, he, the Lord tells a, another individual, follow me. And in the past, we've seen how Matthew leaves the money on the table and he follows him. And Peter did the same things. You know, Zacchaeus kind of similar people that were just willing to leave everything behind and go. So he tells this person, follow me. And he says in verse uh, 59, says, then he said to another, Jesus said to another, follow me. But that person said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Very interesting. So he kind of said, yes, I'll follow you. But then he said, but. And anytime there is a but, yes, Lord, I will follow you, but. The Lord would say, eh, sorry, baby, you're not fit for my kingdom. But I haven't even told you what my excuse is. It doesn't matter. It's really what it comes down to. If there is a but of why we can fully, wholeheartedly, and completely follow the Lord, we are not fit for God's kingdom. And let me say this. I say, Mike, you're, you're setting the bar way too high. Everybody's going to get out of this service all disappointed and discouraged. Well, first of all, it's not my bar to set, right? But reading the scripture, this is the Lord. This is what he said. He's the one that said, if we're this, we're not fit for the kingdom. It's, it doesn't matter what I say or think. It's what the word of God says. Unless we think like, well, then nobody can be saved. The Lord is not asking for perfection. He ne would never do that because not only are we not perfect before salvation, we're not perfect after salvation. So he's not asking for us to be perfect, but he is dealing with the matter of the heart. He is concerned with our heart. Are we willing to forgo everything else and follow him? Or are we clinging to other things and we're going to make those our idols and gods before him? So it's a matter of the heart. It's a matter of us realize, coming to the conclusion and realizing that spiritually we're bankrupt, that we have nothing to offer him, and that when we see his glory and how awesome he is and his goodness and his grace and his love for me, then when I gaze upon him, everything else seems like, Paul says, everything else is trash. Everything else that I used to seek after, everything else that I used to value, everything else that I used to idolize, none of that matters when I consider my Lord. That is the matter of the heart that the Lord is concerned with. So he's dealing here with people's hearts. And he says, so point number two, being fit for God's kingdom requires denial of personal riches. He said to this other, follow me. He said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And that might seem like, oh, that's a, that's a noble thing to do. And it's not that his dad was dead. He was saying, I will follow you later. But let me go back home, wait for my dad to, to die. Let me inherit my, let me get my inheritance, 
and then we'll see how we can fit you in. I think that is more of what we're talking about here. It's not that he was such a wonderful son that wanted to take care of his dad. He's saying, wait, let me, let me first get my inheritance, and then we'll, we'll see how, how we can follow, depending on how it goes, is really what this man was, was getting at. So it had to do with personal riches. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says, we can share a couple verses really quick here with you. It says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you, through his poverty, might become rich. When you talk about richness or being rich, think about the Lord who was rich and yet left it all in order that he would address your poverty. And through his poverty, his voluntary poverty as he became flesh like one of us, he made us rich. Those are the true riches that we should be involved in. And concerned with Matthew 6, 24, the Lord speaking says, no one can serve two masters. Listen, no one can serve two masters. What is he talking about? He says, for either he will hate one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and riches. Period, he says. You cannot serve God and riches. If being rich is your priority, you're not fit for the kingdom of God. And again, most of us say, like, well, I don't want to be rich. I just want to be comfortable. Oh, wait, no. That's not good either, huh? I, wanna, I just want to just admit it. Just admit it. And I'm not advocating let's all be poor and, you know, do a good job at work. Get the promotions. Be generous. Use whatever God has given you, including your money, to honor and glorify his name that needs to be the priority, and that is what the Lord is addressing here. Let's go to point number three. Being fit for God's, God's kingdom requires not only a denial of personal comfort, a denial of personal riches, but also a denial to personal relations. Like, Mike, my, my comfort, my money, and my friends? Well, this is what the Lord is addressing here in Luke 6, 961. And another said to him, Lord, I will follow you, but, but. But let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. I got some people over at my house. Who do you have at your house? Friends. Let me just go say bye to them. Meaning, let me prioritize them over you. I'm not saying we need to be antisocial. Christians should be the most friendly people out there at work. In your team, you should be the most friendliest person. In your household, you should be the friendliest person. You know, one thing about my mom is that everybody that spoke about her, it seemed like she made everybody feel special. You know, the, the grandkids, you know, they were like, I think I was the you know, most special one. Of course, I was the most special children, child of hers. There was four siblings. I know my brother's back. Oh, and my sister's over here too. But uh, I certainly felt that way. And there's a lot of people that felt that way towards my mom. Every Christian should be like that. Every person that you know, they should feel like, you're, like they're really important to you. So I'm not advocating being antisocial, not having friends, but the priority has to be those friendships come out of a love for God and love and devotion for God, and through that love, then you can love other people. Because if you pay attention to most of your friendships, they're probably selfish in nature. They make you feel good. They do the same things you do so that you don't feel so bad because you're doing the same things. I mean, what, what's, you gotta, what are your friends about? You know, what are your friends about? 
If you follow the Lord, then you can have great friendships where you're going to serve other people. You're, you're interested in their best and their well-being instead of interested in what you can get from them. Denial of personal relations. 2 Corinthians 5.16. Listen to this. Therefore, from now on, Paul says, we regard no one according to the flesh. Human relationships are no longer, he says. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet we know him thus no longer. Why? Because we are new creatures in Christ. Does that mean I become a Christian and I leave my wife? Does that mean I become a Christian and my kids, I don't even know my kids anymore. I can just leave them and, and my brothers and sisters. No. But they're no longer the priority. Listen to the next verse. <clears throat> Luke 14, 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. This is very troubling to people that don't understand this verse. And it's a difficult verse. Like, why do you have to say it like that? Obviously, he doesn't want us to hate ourselves and to hate. But he's saying, our love for God in comparison to our earthly relationship should be that we love God with everything. Our heart, soul, our, our strength, all our mind. We love him with everything so that in comparison, our relationships with our family and even with ourselves is as if we hated. This has more to do with our love for God than any sort of hate towards our family. Obviously, we are to love our family, our neighbors, and even our enemies. So this is speaking about God, our love towards God, and in comparison, when we look at our relationships and our devotion to other people, our family, there is no comparison. Our love for God needs to be so much greater. Next verse. Matthew 12, 48, and we read this in Luke earlier, when he was teaching at a house and it was so full that his family, his mom and some siblings came to talk to the Lord and they couldn't get through. And they say, hey, your, your mom and your brothers and sisters are outside. They want to talk to you. And the Lord answers this way. He says, but he answered and said to the one who told him, he says, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And then he looks at the people around and says, these are my brothers and these are my sisters. This, this is my mother. Whoever does the will of God, that is my true family. What are we saying? That being fit for God's kingdom requires even a denial to personal relationships. We might be tempted to say there's no way anybody can do that. But obviously there can. Otherwise he wouldn't say it and he wouldn't have any disciples or followers or there wouldn't be any Christians 2,000 years later after he said this. So it has to do with the matter of the heart. And obviously, the matter of the heart is reflected in our actions. And so there has to be a decision to be made when the Lord says, follow me. Now that you've understood who I am, now that you know what I did for you and what I'm offering you, follow me. And it can't be just a, I'll follow you on the weekends, or I'll follow you when I have enough money in the bank and I'm not stressed or I'm completely healthy. It's I will follow you no matter what. No matter what is what the Lord requires. If we want to be fit for the kingdom of God, we must be willing to deny ourselves of personal comfort, personal riches, and personal relations, and any personal other thing that gets in the way of us being able to love God as he demands to be loved and followed. High task, I would agree. That's why a Christian, beloved, a Christian is a broken person. We're broken over our sin, but we're also broken in that we know we're never going to reach God's standards. 
And at the same time, we're grateful for his grace. And we're grateful for his patience. And we're grateful for his understanding and his love. Like that prodig- the father of the prodigal son who's willing to say, just turn around and I'm right here waiting for you. So, beloved, I would, I would encourage you. I mean, um, I don't know what's going through your mind as you hear this message and you read this scripture. But I would imagine that most of us are going to feel like I'm not there. I'm not there. I know I'm saved by God's grace, but I'm, my devotion to him has lacked. I've, I'm more concerned with my family. I'm more concerned with my job. I'm more concerned with my comfort. I'm more concerned with X, Y, and Z. And you're here so you can hear this message and the Lord telling you, you need to love me with everything. And don't worry, because when you do that, you're going to be a better parent. You're going to be a better employee. You're going to be a better friend. So don't think that, oh, I become a Christian, I have to know what's going to happen is you're going to be a better everything, and you're going to probably have more friends if you live in the Spirit and you act towards people the way God wants you to act towards. And your employers are going to love you even more. They're going to want to give you more raises because they can trust you and you're a person of integrity and you're a hard worker because you do it for the Lord. And even your family is going to like you even more because you serve them and you love them unconditionally because God loves you. So don't ever think that being a Christian means being this antisocial hater of society. We are to love God and love others. Let's pray. Gracious Father and King of glory, thank you for allowing us this time together. Thank you for your word. And thank you for your instruction. Father, we realize that we all fall short, way short of your standards. But we trust in your grace. We trust in your love and your forgiveness. And in your power to keep us on this path that you've called us onto. But Father, I pray that you will give us the resolve that we will be disciplined and committed to following you in everything that we do, that we will seek to honor and glorify your name in our finances, in our relationships, and even the way we take care of ourselves. We want to do it all for you and your glory. We pray for forgiveness for where we've missed, where we've lacked, and where we've rebelled against your word. Help us, we pray. As we dismiss, we ask for your blessing, Father. We thank you in Jesus' wonderful and mighty name. Amen. God bless you, beloved. You're dismissed.